question. Are you ready to reach new limits? It's time to change your family tree and redefine industry. Enough with all the cliche, cookie-cutter recommendations about finance, business, and life. You found the podcast to give you the tips you need to create the unconventional lifestyle and outcomes you've always wanted. It's time to build your own systems and play your own game. You're tapped in with the one and only Dan Nicholson, and this is Rigging the Game Podcast. Listeners, I am super excited to share with you that my book, Rigging the Game, How to Achieve Financial Certainty, Navigate Risk, and Make Money on Your Terms, is finally available. If you want more details, check it out at riggingamazon.com. Paul, what's going on? Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, Paul, we got to know each other kind of over the last year. You were in the most recent cohort of the Certainty Certified Advisor Program. And uh, now we are uh, kind of business partners. We have a, a really a business you're leading called Whale Club. And and uh, I'm hopefully contributing in various ways. But what, you know, to be determined, I'm not fishing for a compliment or anything there. But uh, so full disclosure, uh, we do have a business that uh, we're partners in. But uh, with that said, where I like to start is tell me about yourself, but not the resume version. Give me the version that's sort of what is it that you really want people to know about who you are as a as a person, as a human? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I got out of the CCA was just the first wealth commandment, closer versus more. That really framed how I'm going to answer this question. Um what do I like to do? Who am I? How do I get closer to those things? I spend like to spend a lot of time with my wife and family. We we do a lot of hiking and things like this. I'm passionate about innovation. You know, I was an intro, uh, I was an engineer for you know four years in college and realized I didn't want to do that, but I really liked the the innovation side of things. And um, so I worked in tech. I worked in uh, basically selling innovation to manufacturers and logistics providers. Through that process, I got into you know real estate after about doing that for about eight to ten years or so. Um, got into real estate, got into the blockchain world, and realized there's a massive connection between these two. There's an opportunity to build this bridge between these two worlds, and so, you know, I'm really combining two things that I have a you know a lot of interest in, which is innovation. Blockchain presents so much opportunity to innovate, and and as an investor, I spend a lot of my time looking for real estate deals and, you know, building passive income and these types of things. So that's what I'm working on now. That's what we're working on in the Whale Club is bridging these two worlds together, real estate and blockchain. And so you became a kind of full-time entrepreneur during the pandemic, right? What was, what led you to that final decision? And uh, I'm projecting a little bit because I also come from a technical background. You're accounting, I'm, or I'm accounting, you're engineering. And sometimes that can be hard for us to uh, finally dip our toes into entrepreneurship because we were taught all these rules and ways of, of, uh, of being and doing things. So what was sort of the tipping point that led you to go all in during a, especially during a pandemic? Well, my my largest customer at the time was United Airlines, and we were working on a solution to help them automate their bag scanning. So, if you've ever gotten on an airplane and you see that little ramp that loads the bags on the on the into the belly of the plane, 
somebody's got to sit there and hand scan all those bags. And, you know, at 10 o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, like you, sometimes you miss them, right? Which is part of the reason why there's such a problem with tracking bags. So we were selling United Airlines a solution to solve that problem. And we had tested it. We, it, we were getting ready to take one of the biggest purchase orders I had uh, ever worked for. I think it was like 15 million we were going to take to roll this product out to all their major hubs. And that was February, 2020. And, you know, I got a call. It was like, Hey, we've got this, you know, virus, this thing that we're being a little careful for, uh, you know, careful of. And, you know, of course the, this was a, this was a technology product. So when COVID hit, that budget dried up really quickly. So I had spent two years in this sales cycle building the business case throughout this you know, large organization. And then everything just sort of ground to a screeching halt. And we talk about the forcing function as one of the four lenses, right? And so prior to that, I'd been buying real estate. I'd been buying rental properties. You know, we'd move, in, move into a house, live there for a year or two and move out and you know, get another one and collect rentals this way. And, and so when that happened, when we lost that deal, it was sort of like, well, now what, what is it that I really wanted to do? And is, you know, I sort of picked my head up and said, is this something I can, I want to do forever? Do I really want to do this? Um, so that process pushed me into entrepreneurship because it was, Really, I didn't have a whole lot of options at that point. It was like my projects were gone. What do you want to do? We can't travel. We can't fly. No one's doing anything. So I started finding ways to um, buy houses and we started flipping. We started doing things like that. And so at the end of that year, I left and went full time. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you, I appreciate you sharing that story. And we have a not too dissimilar uh, backstory and how I finally went full time and into entrepreneurship. And I don't think this is something I've uh, shared uh, uh, publicly uh, before, but I'm going to now. So uh, when I finally started uh, full-time in my CPA firm, which was kind of my first full-time uh, business endeavor, I was, I was scheming it for a while and I had a coworker at a, we were working at a large regional firm at the time. I had a coworker and we were gonna partner and he, um, went to a networking event and handed out a bunch of business cards. And uh, that got back to the managing partner of the, of the tax practice that we we're uh, uh, teammates on. And he was terminated. And I was called into the office. And, uh, and the guy was like, hey, I know that you're uh, partnering with, uh, Jason was his name. Uh, I know you're gonna partner with Jason and uh, you, you need to choose. You're going to stay here. And if you're going to stay here, you need to like sign in blood and commit to the rest of your life here or you need to go. And I looked at him and I said, okay, I can't commit to that. So I guess, I guess I'm out. And so he gave me two weeks notice and he said, uh, this is the biggest mistake of your life. And, uh, you don't have the experience or expertise to be successful in this. And so, you know, good luck, good luck to you. And uh, that was an extreme uh, forcing function, similar to COVID for years, that uh, was the kick that I needed. And maybe the kick, I'm curious if you feel like it was the kick you needed as well um, to, go all, to go all in. Um, but also he gave me fuel. In CCA, we talk about tank versus trunk. Uh, 
that criticism, you're not going to be successful, was fuel for me. I called my dad on the way home. My dad is fiercely, fiercely uh, competitive. And I told him that and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to be so successful that you buy that business from him in the next 10 years. <laughs> so that's kind of where I come from. But um, bringing it back to you, uh, full circle, do you feel like that was the kick that you needed? Do you think you would have gone into entrepreneurship if the pandemic hadn't happened? Because from what I know, you'd be kind of modest. You were very successful in sales and in, uh, in business, uh, in the job and previous jobs that you had. So do you think you needed that kick? And uh, was there any external scrutiny that you were getting that you used as fuel? Yes, it was the kick I needed because it's so easy to... I mean, think about the investor frame, knowing what I know now, would I choose to opt into this situation, but, but we don't know what other options exist, right? Like we're choosing it because we don't have a ton of optionality. And, and that was the case for me, you know, I was a top producer in multiple roles, multiple uh, companies and was doing very well. Let's just say as a young salesperson kind of building their career, um, but that wasn't that wasn't something I was willing to do in perpetuity, right? And so that process of trying to build up my passive income so that I could leave my job was sort of like left with a crossroads, right? Well, your job is not really as stable as you thought it was because something like this can totally affect you know, your ability to earn. I mean, it was like, I'm a commission-based job, right? I mean, this $15 million deal just falls apart. Um, so certainly it was. And, and you also mentioned scrutiny and expectations. Um, one of the things that I feel fortunate to have is a really supportive family, wife, people who know me intrinsically. I think they knew that this was a reality um, at a certain point for me. So I had that support for them, but but it was it was scary to those who sort of knew me as acquaintances or knew me as, you know, the guy who was traveling to two cities a week every week selling. Um, we'd hang out on the weekends, and and it's like you're gonna leave your job to go start a new company, and and the first year in business was was not very good. Let's just say, like <laughs> we 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 took our lumps. Let's just say, right? So it was almost more in the first year, where like, should you really continue with this? Should you really continue down this path? That was really where I felt more of the scrutiny. Um, do you really have what it takes? Because it doesn't seem like you're doing very well in year one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And certainly uh, that's great that you come from the background where the family and your spouse and all of that give you, uh, give you the support. But it's those friends who it's almost like they're projecting their own fears onto you. Like, hey, are we really allowed to go and do our own thing? Like, yeah, because what does it mean about me if you get to go do that? So I almost want to, we call it in CCA, um, uh, governing your your speed limit. So they're, used, they're comfortable going 60 miles an hour. Now you're going 100. Hey, uh, let's let's slow you down a bit. Let's bring you back to, back to where we're all comfortable kind of playing at. Now, now, sort of dovetailing into another question here, you mentioned trade-offs in, in your answer. And uh, commandment number three, so we have these commandments that's part of our certainty operating system. And the third one is 
every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs. It's hard to think about things in terms of infinite, uh, but truly when we make one decision, it removes an infinite number of other things we could have been doing because resources are scarce. Time is, time is scarce. Money is scarce. We invest in one property and that removes an infinite number of other properties we could have invested in. And so we have to think about, are we okay with this trade-off? And then it connects back to, to preferences and closer versus more. I know in your journey, so you have a, one of the companies that you operate is a real estate company and you figured out maybe in your first year, maybe it was your second year, this these trade-offs and you changed your business model, as I understand it, from, uh, from flips to pop tops. And maybe I'm getting some of these facts uh, sort of off slightly, but can you talk about this concept of trade-offs and how it's applied to you and navigating business and how you've changed your, your business model to kind of account for that? So, I mean, in your first business, resources are scarce. That cannot be overstated. Um, resources are absolutely scarce. And it was the perfect example of, of trade-offs. Um, when you get into a new business, oftentimes, you know, this was before I'd taken the CCA, right? And had a lot of these frameworks and principles and ways to think through this. But, you know, the first thing that I try to do is get around people who are doing the things I want to do, right? How are they playing the game? which of course is a version of seeking consensus. And so what happened was I made a lot of decisions in year one based on, I want to press this button. I want to press this button. How does this, how does this work? If I do a flip, what happens? If we do this type of project, what happens? Um, and what I realized is that although that's helpful to gather a lot of information, there's trade-offs to that. There's trade-offs to not going as fast as you want. So, you know, I was sort of struggling in my own head with saying, I want to be successful. I've been successful in most things that I've, that I've done up to this point. Why can't I figure this out? Um, and, the, and the best example is a, is a particular fix and flip that I started in July of last year that I'm still doing. Um, you know, we're still you know, slugging through this deal, dealing with permits and contractors. And, and you talk about resources, like the amount of time and energy and effort that I've expended on that one particular deal has completely eliminated doing other more efficient deals. So what I've sort of found is like, I was violating, I mean, this is where all these principles kind of come for full circle, right? I was violating the micro steps. I was taking big steps. I want to press this button, but it was going all in to the point where I'm not even gathering information. I'm just committed. And so we got locked into several deals last year that I can't, I'm still not out of. At the same time, we recognized in year one, well, this works a lot better. You know, we, you mentioned things like pop top. So here in Denver, we have these, you know, in a premier neighborhood, you've got, uh, uh, you know, these brick ranches and we'll take the, the roof off out of third story and we'll dig out the basement and, make this a, a full kind of luxury high-end home. And the, the profit margins on these are significantly higher than with fix and flips. And so, you know, inherently it carries less risk, especially with the people that I'm working with. Point is, is that over time you get this information and, you know, I just experienced firsthand the trade-offs that exist by going too far 
without having enough information, without taking a micro step, what's the risk? Well, that's you're stuck in a deal that you can't get out of. And now you can't even, I can't even execute on the strategy I know is much better because a lot of my money is tied up in these other deals. Yeah, that's a great case in point. So to tie in for the listeners, a couple of things that you shared. So we've uh, trade-offs, recognizing these trade-offs is one of our four commandments. And then we have these 12 principles, which we call algorithms to kind of fit into this idea of an, an operating system. And so one of them is we bias micro steps. So once you ex accept this reality, there are an infinite number of trade-offs. And then you realize most of these things I'm going into, especially when they're new, I have no data. So if I just commit to this thing and I take a bunch of risk, I got to put in a bunch of effort. I don't know what the options are going to be. So what I need to do is take a micro step, which is basically what's the smallest action I can take to get more data to inform my decision-making. And that's counter to going all in. But again, once we recognize the trade-offs, we realize I can't go all in because I might be committing to something that uh, is gonna ruin me later. So just to kind of tie in some of the principles that you were talking about. And uh, from what I understand, this has really changed your business because you're, you've moved to not just the, the pop tops, but uh, I think you've started doing some novations as well. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about um, what that is for the listeners and then how you figured that out? Because it's not a new term, it's been out there, um, but you've managed to figure these things out where there are other bigger players that still aren't p playing in that space, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm gonna reference the barbell that we've talked about so much inside the CCA, right? We wanna manufacture asymmetry in our decisions, let's say. And so when we look at things in real estate as, as you know, on, on each side of the barbell, you have one side is reliability. The other side is we want to have uh, asymmetry to the upside where we have a lot of upside, very little downside. And so what I found is things like fix and flips are the definition of right in the middle of the bar. It could go really well, but it could also go terribly. And you could get sucked into a 14 month project where you want to pull your hair out, contractors driving you nuts. So what a novation is, is a way for us to actually partner with the homeowner. We don't take title or ownership to the house, but it allows us to do renovations on a property and sell the house on the retail market without actually taking ownership of it. And what this did is it reduced our risk significantly. We also do this only with houses that need a little bit of like cosmetic updates. We're not going to do you know, projects that need big rehabs. Um, because on the other side of the barbell, we have these pop tops or let's call it like ground up development where the, the upside is massive. And because we have so much margin built into these deals, the way we buy it, being able to build it and do these types of projects, we have a lot of, of, of margin. So the downside is actually fairly low. And what you also find is the, the higher up you go in let's say, uh, complexity with the type of project you're doing, the better the contractors, the better the relationships. So actually by going bigger, we had more reliability. And so we have on, you know, on one side, the upside, we have these larger projects. On the other side, we do things like novations where we don't actually have to take title of the property. So our risk is lower. We do things like retail, 
again, we're not taking ownership of the property. We do things like wholesale where we actually just get the property under contract and we sell that property to a fix and flipper. We could do the work ourselves, but we could also make 20, 25, $30,000 and just move on and go get the next one with almost no risk in the deal. So what we found is anything in the middle, we want to push it over either to the reliability side. How do we take less risk by either uh, certain strategies in real estate to do that? Or we want to have if we're going to do a construction project, we want it to have a lot of upside with very little downside. Hmm. Yeah, a lot that you've just shared and, and is pretty profound and we just sort of reason through it. So what you identified is, hey, my resources are being, what I'm hearing, my resources were getting really tied up with these fix and flips and I might make a bunch of money, but I also might lose a bunch of money. And there's other currencies like my time and energy that are being tied up in these. So how do I reallocate those resources to something else? And so then what you found is, well, I want something that's either more reliable and or has pretty significant upside. And so you probably hear from other people when you sell some of these properties to that you could have fixed and flipped to someone else, they think they're getting one over on you. <laughs> like, what's this, this guy? Uh, What's he doing? He's leaving a lot of money on the table. And what you know that they haven't realized is I'm about to make 20 to 30 grand with no effort or very little effort. And uh, I'm freeing up my time to take on significantly more projects, potentially, if you wanted, or to start another business, which you have. And I think that's just a really good case in point on understanding these trade-offs. And people tend to get stuck in, but what's going to make me the most amount of money? ignoring the trade-offs to all of that. Yeah, and the trade-off is I can't go after uh, bridging the world of blockchain and real estate, right? If I, am, if I am buried in my business, worried about all the fix and flips that we're doing, worried about doing volume and having a big team, um, growing this real estate team, it's like, well, hold on a second. Why am I using real estate in the first place? It's to get passive income. It's, to, it's for it to be, I say, boring. Like I want my real estate business to just be boring because real estate has demonstrated over hundreds of years to be fairly reliable, right? I, I want to spend my time on things that have massive upside, which is obviously what we're working on in the Whale Club, right? So there's a trade-off to growing your business, to doing all these types of projects that suck your time and your energy out because resources are scarce and we can't now allocate those to the things that really get me excited, which is innovation, which is doing something that's going to impact the world in a massive way. Yeah. And the danger is if you didn't do that, if you didn't work through this, you spend your life on the board, on the potentially, you know, as you said, boring stuff, getting uh, pounded to the ground, working on all these projects. And then you never got to spend time on the things that you really enjoy, which is the innovation. So, you figured this out in the first year or two of business. And there's people who are probably listening right now who've been in business for 15, 20, 25 years. And they're, they've been banging their head up against the wall during that period of time. And now are realizing, well, wait a minute, there, there is in fact a different way that I can do this. What do you think is it about you that allowed you to um, figure that out when so many others have uh, such blind spots? Um, I think it's my my willingness to invest in my own education, 
my willingness to seek out people who have the, you know, um, the operating system that I attempt to, you know, apply to my own life. This is why I was so attracted to what you guys are doing in the CCA. Um, a lot of this stuff might seem intuitive, but I would argue if you look at your actual behavior, a lot of times that doesn't line up. And so what, what I was able to learn from you guys is how to reason and make, make decisions and reason through these issues and these different um, inflection points in our life and, and use it to get closer to the things that we actually want while recognizing that every decision we make has an, has an infinite number of trade-offs because there's, there's things that you can't even see yet. Like what I wanted to, what I want today is not the same thing I wanted three years ago. Stands to reason. It's probably not going to be the same thing I want three years from now, which means there's an infinite number of things that could come up that by saying and committing to certain things, I'm, I'm saying no to that. Like my wife and I are talking about wanting to have kids. We don't know when that's going to happen. The decisions I make today are going to affect me and my family, you know, forever. So it's important to recognize that resources are scarce. We want to make decisions that get, that take the least amount of effort with uh, the most amount of options, essentially, right? We want to align with with that orientation, and then that applied with these, you know, principles and frameworks that you've given me have just um, it, it makes decisions fairly easy if you really understand these things, right? Well, Paul, I really appreciate you coming on, and the the thing I just want to recognize you for is that I've, I've I've gone through your notes that you've put together, you shared with me from the CCA. And uh, I'm almost uh, like, I should have just had Paul write my book. I mean, Paul really has this stuff down. Uh, so I'm uh, sincerely impressed with just uh, the way that you um, have uh, digested the information. But then not only that, back to innovation, you've made it your own in these other domains, taking it to real estate, taking it to, to blockchain. And so I really appreciate that. And so for those people who are interested in what I'm doing it with certainty, that you're going to be, a, and you're interested in real estate or blockchain, you really want to check out what Paul is doing. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. Now, if you're interested in learning more about my book, Rigging the Game, How to Achieve Financial Certainty, Navigate Risk, and Make Money on Your Terms, go to riggingamazon.com. If you're interested in joining our next cohort in the Certainty Certified Advisor Program, go to certaintyu.com.